Wake up. It's the Sleep Unplugged podcast, episode 56, Sexomnias. Hard to explain last night. Welcome everyone to the Sleep Unplugged podcast. My name is Chris Winter. I'm a neurologist and sleep specialist and your host for what's going to be a very fascinating episode, I think, and a very important one for a lot of reasons. So I'm glad you're here with us. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you are a veteran of the podcast, welcome back. We're really glad you're here. It's been a big week, very exciting week. Our last episode of the podcast about sleepiness and fatigue was huge. It was extremely popular. It was by far and away the most popular day we've ever had on the podcast when that episode released. And it's been the biggest week by far. We keep growing. And that makes me really excited because more and more people are hearing the podcast and getting good information about sleep so they can make decisions about their own sleep and understand it in a more richer sense. So we're really excited about that. If you're familiar with the podcast, we always start off with comments, corrections, criticisms, and then we have a comment or a question from Erica from STJ, and she wrote, can you be both fatigued and sleepy? And the answer, simply put, is absolutely yes. We spent a lot of time in the last episode differentiating sleepiness and fatigued, but you can absolutely be both. You can be tired and itchy. You can be sore and sweaty, and you can certainly be sleepy and fatigued. And I think that's important. I think that's an important conversation to have with a clinician or a provider, which is, hey, I listened to this podcast, or my mom told me to listen to this podcast, or I told my mom to listen to this podcast because she complains about being tired all the time. And as we've listened and really thought about symptoms, I clearly have elements of sleepiness. If I sit too long in a place, I'm going to fall asleep. I've nodded off driving before. I've even fallen asleep talking to my friends on the phone. That happens. I also have overwhelming fatigue, just getting upstairs to put some laundry away, walking out to the mailbox just absolutely wins me. I'm out of breath. It takes me hours to recover from really minimal exertion. Those are great questions to talk about with a provider. There may be several things going on or something that unifies both of those symptoms. So I appreciate it, Erica. appreciate you listening to the podcast. Appreciate everybody listening to the podcast and welcome your comments, your questions, your critiques, criticisms, whatever you got. We're excited and to talk about it and hear for you to reach the show. You can do it through Twitter, Instagram, threads. The handle is Dr. Chris Winter. So Dr. Chris Winter, D-R-C-H-R-I-S-W-I-N-T-E-R. Give me a follow. Uh, give me a shout out send me a question, correct something I've said that's wrong. We're we're here for all of it. If you're interested in watching our videos, we do have a steadily growing YouTube channel. It's the Sleep Unplugged podcast. If you look that up, you'll find it. There we post videos of all of our episodes. And that's another way you can communicate with the show if you like. We also have a Spotify playlist. We talk about music at the beginning of each show as it relates to our topic and 
we've we compile all of those songs into a podcast or into a Spotify playlist. So you can subscribe to that playlist and listen to it anytime you want. We also welcome feedback about new music you've discovered through the podcast, if that's a thing. And today's episode was tough. We're going to talk about sexomnias, which are sexual behaviors at night. It's a serious topic. You know, whenever you bring up sex, we talked about sleeping naked, I believe, in in episode 49. And and there's some sort of tongue-in-cheek that goes along with that. But I certainly wanted this episode to be serious because there can be some very serious ramifications of sexual behaviors at night that we'll talk about. So I really wanted the the show, the title of the show to reflect that. And there were a couple different ways I was thinking, uh, let's talk about sex, uh, a great song from when I was growing up. James uh, has a great song called Laid that had some great lines in it about waking up next to a person you did not go to sleep with. Kings of Leon, Sex on Fire. It was just really, I was trying to capture the spirit of sexomnia. And so I went with Hard to Explain Last Night. And that's actually two songs by the artist The Strokes, the band The Strokes, off their debut album, Is This It?, which was released in 2001. Fantastic album. According to many critics, really revitalized rock and roll and brought that sort of indie garage sound, raw sort of New York independent streak music into the mainstream. It was a really a, a seminal uh, album and I wore it out. And, and it came out in 2001 during my residency years in neurology. You know, time spent a lot of time in the hospital on call. Um, and that's that album is just sort of the soundtrack of my neurology residency days and so tracks eight and track eight is last night i'm sorry track eight is hard to explain track seven is last night and hard to explain was the first single off their first album last night was the second single off their first album and put together i really think it captures the mood of sexomnium which is a parasomnia, non-REM parasomnia that's happening with, for the most part, almost complete amnesia to the event. And so I can't explain what happened last night is I think a really good sentiment. And if you're familiar with the album, last night starts off and it sounds a lot like American Girl by Tom Petty. And then in a subsequent interview, they actually admitted that they kind of stole the riff from it. And I don't think anybody really cared, including Tom Petty, who they toured with for a period of time. So we'll add Hard to Explain and Last Night to the volume two of the Sleep Unplugged pay- playlist on Spotify for following. I'm also going to go throw a wild card in there. There's another song. It's song three off the album. It's called Soma. Soma is actually in reference there's, I think, the Greek god Soma, the god of sleep, if I'm recalling that correctly. But Soma is actually a drug, um, carisoprodol, uh, which is a muscle relaxer that's often abused. It's a Schedule Four drug and often abused in a way that you combine it with other things or take it to help people sleep. And I think the line from the song is Soma is what she would take when you know she couldn't sleep or something like that. Um, so we'll put all three of those stroke songs on the new playlist and uh, shout out to a great band. So let's talk about 
sexomnia. Sexomnia is considered to be a parasomnia, which is some sort of unwanted, undesired physical event that's happening during some stage of sleep or transitions into sleep from wakefulness to sleep or from sleep to wakefulness. We usually divide them into non-REM. So these behaviors arising out of non-REM or, or deep sleep versus REM-related parasomnias, which are happening related to REM sleep. And we have sort of a long running joke, if you're a long listener of the show, that we really want to do an episode on REM behavior disorder, which is a very common REM-related parasomnia. We just never get around to it. And, and I swear, I swear we will not go into season three of this podcast without doing the REM behavior disorder, because like sexomnia is a very important topic, just because awareness is king here. We want people to be aware of, hey, that thing that your partner does or that you do or that you witness is, is something real. And it may be something that you need to treat or it needs to be dealt with in some way. And I think sexomnia definitely falls into that category. So sexomnia is a relatively new term within sleep. I believe it was first characterized in 1986 in a Singapore uh, case report that involved a guy who was masturbating nightly. And he was not aware of it. He was married and his wife was really upset by it. She, it made her feel inadequate. You know, every time they'd go to bed, she'd, you know, hear sounds and look over and he was, you know, masturbating, you know, every night. And this was, this was in the case report, which you can pull up and read. It talks about, she was really upset about it because they had intercourse every night. So yeah, you can imagine the feeling there, like, you know, you finish up at night and you, brush your teeth and go to bed. And 30 minutes later, your partner is masturbating. You can understand where that feeling of inadequacy might come from or embarrassment or disgust, whatever the feelings you're having about that are, you know, there they are. So it's been around since 86. That's not that long. When you look, do a literature search on PubMed, only about 56 references come up. I think it's been cited in, in literature, you know, 100, 200 times. So when you look at congestive heart failure or, you know, some other condition, thousands and thousands and thousands of papers. So this is a relatively small body of research when we talk about this. So what what is, what is sexomnia? What does it look like? So generally speaking, Sexomnia is a parasomnia involving a non-REM parasomnia. So it's arising out of sleep that is not dream sleep. So you're often going to see it in the first half of the night, because remember when we split the night in half, a lot of REM sleep during the second half of the night, mostly non-REM sleep, deep sleep during the first half of the night. So you're more likely to see these behaviors in the first part of the night. You go to bed and very quickly you realize your partner is doing something that's unusual. Uh, masturbation is probably the most common manifestation, is absolutely the most common manifestation in women, uh, but can also be a little bit more aggressive and more you know, one directional in, ter in, in terms of fondling, you know, a partner touching another partner inappropriately, sexual noises. And this is probably the reason why catathrenia which we talked about, uh, I believe it was like episode somewhere in the 20s, I think, 
Um, and that was, again, a very popular episode that catathrenia was considered as episode 30. Catathrenia for a long time was considered to be a sexomnia because the moaning was thought to be sexual in nature. So I, I think there's some gray area there, sexual movements. So maybe the individual's not masturbating, but they might be thrusting or making a movement as if they were engaged in some sort of sexual activity. Your true sexual activities with a partner. And that can really run the spectrum from some sort of sexual encounter to aggressive sexual activity, activity that doesn't seem to be characteristic of the individual engaging in it, all the way up to sexual assault. And I think that's really important. And when you pull the literature on sexual assault and parasomnias, there's, there's quite a bit of it in the medical literature because it's often creates a some sort of a conflict. You can imagine uh, sexual assault, rape, fondling, these things happen. And I've actually been an expert sort of witness in some of these cases. In fact, the reason I wanted to do this case was a case that I was involved in was just settled. And I'm going to give you some details about it. This happened in a hospital somewhere in the world. If you've ever been with, if you've ever been you know, hospitalized, a lot of hospitals still have rooms that you share with another patient, which is unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. Hospitals are busy. They're overcrowded. Sometimes you're in a room with somebody else with a little curtain in between. Well, this individual was with their child in the hospital and was swapping off with their partner. So one partner was there with the child. The other partner got off of work, would go in and spell the other partner. Other partner went home to sleep and deal with things at home. This partner stayed with the child. And for a period of time, they were in the room, the hospital room, imagine closest to the window. At some point, the child got moved to another room and now had the hospital bed closest to the door, not closest to the window, the, the, the deeper um if you will, bed. And I was involved in this case because at one point, the man, the, the individual um, who was with his child was sleeping in bed with the child. He was working all day, coming home, and then basically kind of up all night with a fairly sick child. And at one point went to bed, just lay down on the little uncomfortable recliner chair next to his child and apparently woke up, took his clothes off, and then walked over to the bed situation next door and just sort of got into bed with the mother of a child next door which is horrifying. I, I do not want to minimize the experience for this woman. If I'm sitting in a place and my child's had their tonsils taken out or whatever's going on with them and I'm sitting there sleeping and all of a sudden I'm in bed with a stranger, that would be a little, little jarring to say the least. And as a woman being sort of you know, uh, approached by a man who's naked, could be terrifying. So apparently she wakes up, she's very upset. And 
he just kind of stands up and nonchalantly walks back over to his son's bed, still naked, gets into bed and goes right back to sleep almost immediately. So she obviously is extremely stressed and, and upset. She goes to tell the nurse and the nurse calls 911 and the police arrive and they come in and wake the guy up and say, put some clothes on. We have to talk to you. And he, and now everything's on body cam so you can see it. And the guy clearly is like, what are you talking about? Well, sir, you actually, according to this woman, allegedly got in bed with her put your arm around her, your hand touched her breast. And, 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 and he's like, I, I, I'm so sorry. I, and you can hear it. You can see him say, I, I'm so sorry. I, I don't, I didn't, if I did that, I didn't mean to do it. He's not really even denying it. He's like, I don't know what to say. I have no memory of it, but he kind of looks like, he's like, yeah, maybe that happened. I, I don't know. I'm not doubting you. I'm certainly not doubting the woman. And you could tell he was just unbelievably apologetic and embarrassed. And, you know, can you imagine the emotions going on? And you know, eventually the guy gets handcuffed and taken away. I was able to talk to him. I was able to talk to his partner who says, number one, he always sleeps naked. Number two, he always sleeps naked, completely spooning me. So I'm little spoon. He's big spoon. And he usually has his hands around me and they end up, you know, somewhere in and around my breast. So that that's pretty much the position that we sleep in. He doesn't necessarily, you know, he's doing anything. It's just, that's where his hands are. So if he's kind of touching or cupping or whatever, then that's, you know, she doesn't care. They're partners. They're, you know, they're in love with one another. Um, and she said he sleepwalks all the time and has since he was a kid. And usually what that looks like is, he goes to bed in bed. He wakes up on the couch and is not really sure why he's there. No history of really any sexual aggression or any kind of assaulty like behavior, either with this partner or with anyone else. But she says sometimes he's kind of gropey in the night, but she's just like, you know, it's no big deal. It's, you know, he just, I just say no, or I push him away, or I say yes, you know, whatever the, however the, the spirit moves me. And, and, and that's, but that's, you know, everything you're describing that he did is very much in line with what's going on. So fortunately, the case was able to be resolved without ever going to court and really illustrates the sticky nature of this condition. And as a clinical provider, sleep medicine provider, I have seen a lot of this. I've seen a family, man and a woman, and their son go on a camping trip in a trailer and the husband and wife are sleeping in the front of the trailer in the bed, a camper, you know, the big RV kind of thing. And in the back of the RV, their son and his friend are sleeping there. And the patient said, this is not really related to why I'm seeing you, but I just wanted to let you know, many years ago, we were camping. And at one point in the night, I had not been drinking. I woke up in bed with my son and his friend. And I think, you know, I kind of had my arm around him. And I was mortified, quietly got out of bed, got back into bed with my wife. And I could tell the next day, neither my son nor his friend had really, you could tell they had no idea that I'd ever been there. But he was like, what should I do? Can you imagine what would have happened had he woken up and I'm sitting there with my arm around him for no reason? The other, so 
these things are not terribly uncommon. And when you talk to partners, romantic partners, bed partners, they'll often admit to these types of things where sexual types of behaviors or encounters happen. And there's very little memory of sort of what's going on with that. So what what kind of numbers are we talking about here? Well, there was a 2018 Norwegian study that was actually looking at about 4,300 patients who were coming in to be evaluated for sleep apnea. And they were asking them questions prior to their evaluation. About 3.1% of them admitted to sexual parasomnia-like behaviors. Three out of 100 is not a tiny number for individuals who are in that space. Uh, a, 20, a 2010 abstract looking at individuals basically said about 7.8% of sleep study patients, so patients who actually go on to have a sleep study, showed signs of some sort of sexomnia, meaning you came in to get a sleep study for snoring. So we're going to set you up to see if you have sleep apnea. And the tech tells me the next day, hey, Chris, you might want to take a look at this part of the sleep study. Something usual is going on. Or he, he was took off all of his clothes and started you know, fondling himself or something like that. So, um, And that was 11% of men, 4% of women seem to be sort of the breakdown. So this is something that's often seen a lot more in men. Uh, 2016 study in uh, out of London looked at 42 individuals with reported sexomnias. The average, the average age was 32. And of those 42 cases, 37 involved men. And of these cases, intercourse was the most frequently reported sexomnia. Now in women, it's masturbation. In men, it was intercourse. Now you could look at that study and say, what was the most commonly reported probably because intercourse is a much bigger deal. Maybe an individual who's masturbating would not, you know, be seen doing it. Or if it was done, you might kind of forget about it or pretend like you didn't see it. So maybe the, the heightened nature of actual intercourse makes it more likely to be reported. 11 of those 42 cases involved violent sexual behaviors and aggression. And of those individuals, 73% reported having other parasomnias, sleepwalking, sleep talking, things of that nature. So you see that a lot. It's it's It can be a spectrum, kind of like the case that I was involved in. This guy was having a lot of parasomnia since he was a kid, sleepwalking, ending up sleeping in places he didn't remember. And this was sort of born out of it. I, I want to point out a particular group that I think is at risk when you think about, okay, well, hospital patients, okay, this is a stressful environment. You've got two people in a room. Things are disrupting your natural circadian rhythm. So there's a lot of things going on that, that might predispose to a sexomnium. There was a 2023 study that, that indicate that discussed four case studies of military individuals, active duty military individuals. And that's, you know, I, Think about, you know, like the Naval Academy, where you've got multiple people in very tiny rooms. So Bancroft Hall is the biggest dormitory in the world. It's where every Naval Academy student sleeps every night, all in one massive, massive dorm. The entire four years 
of Naval Academy students are all in the same building, Bancroft Hall. So you've got this terrible mix of stress, a little bit of stress there, shift work disorder, because they all stay up way too late and get up too early, tight quarters, and sleep deprivation. Those are four very common causes of any parasomnia and can certainly be causes of sexomnia. So the young soldier, the young Marine, the young Naval gets up, takes off his clothes and hops into bed with somebody else or is engaging in a weird behavior that somebody else reports because he's making noise. So these things, I think we have to be very careful about certain populations that might be more at risk. We've talked about adults. We've talked about military. Adolescents can show these behaviors. It's it's a little bit more tricky to figure out, A, they're you know, not typically going to have bed partners, although they may share a room with a brother or sister, or maybe you know, very young sleeping in the same you know bedroom, you know, in a little little bed or something with a parent or something. Or but there was a 2019 case study of an adolescent who was having a masturbatory sort of sexomnia behaviors. And I think it's important when we think about adolescence, wet dreams, nocturnal emissions, sometimes they're called nightfalls, which is actually, I believe, a comic book character, which I thought was, was fantastic. So these can all these are all sort of sleep-related sexual phenomena. They are not considered to be parasomnias. Or I'm sorry, sexomnias. That's considered almost more of a natural developmental situation with, with adolescent boys. So when we think about the, the sexomnias, there's some shared features that go along with this. Number one, the individual is typically unresponsive or minimally responsive to conversation or the environment. So if we think about individuals who are sleepwalking or sleep talking, we've all had experiences with that. I've had conversations with my wife when she's sleep talking, when she was a school teacher and really, really busting her butt when I was in medical school, she was exhausted. And that stress, that sleep deprivation, all of those things tended to predispose her to sleep talking, never sleepwalking, no other parasomnia, but she did sleep talk some. And what was always interesting was the conversation started off with me thinking, oh, she's just having a conversation with me. I actually didn't know she was awake. We're talking now about things. And then very quickly you realize, oh, you're asking me to get all the dead bodies off my off the lawn, which she said one time, Chris, before you go to bed, you think you can get those dead bodies off the grass out front? And you realize very quickly, oh, you're you're asleep. This is a sleepwalking or sleep talking sort of situation, which would you call somniloquy. And so what I would typically do is just sort of go along with, yes, of course, I'll get those bodies cleaned up. No problem. Let's get you to bed. Don't worry about that. Just relax and, and get some sleep and we'll talk about it in the morning. So I was, it was always like trying to work with the responsiveness that she had to get her back in bed before she started talking about something else that made no sense. Generally speaking, the unusual sexual responses or aggression that you see typically happen in an individual who's having difficulty or unable to be awakened. So again, that same thing. People always say, don't wake somebody up who's sleepwalking. It's not so much that. It's just, it's very difficult to do it. And it often precipitates a sense of disorientation. So it can sometimes be hard as this person's acting aggressively to get them to not do what, you know, 
what they're trying to do, you know, okay, you know, push them away or, you know, especially if you're a smaller individual and your partner's a bigger, stronger individual that, that could create some, some problems there. The biggest feature with sexsomnia and one study actually reported it in 100% of cases is there is no memory of the behavior once you're awake. And I would sort of throw out there a classification of sexsomnia that's often called sleepy sex where partners engage in sexual activity and then the next day everybody's just sort of unclear about what happened and that's pretty common you know if you talk to people in honest moments they'll tell you yeah there have been times where i have had intercourse at night that i don't really remember and again we're not talking about being drunk or intoxicated in some way it's just a tuesday night you went to bed and the next morning everybody's naked and you're asking some questions. And again, that's where the title of the podcast came from. Like, did we have sex last night? I think we did, but I don't really remember what was going on, which is unfortunate because of all the things in your life that you're dealing with from a day-to-day -day basis, that's probably a nicer thing to have a memory of. Like, it's nice to have a memory of a nice encounter that you share with the partner that you've committed yourself to. So the memory thing is really important and it is on full display when you're looking at these individuals who struggle with it. This, this case I was involved in, the guy had no memory and it's a very difficult position to be. I mean, imagine somebody coming in and saying, Hey, we're accusing you of breaking into a bank, stealing a bunch of money, holding a bunch of people at gunpoint. And you're like, that wasn't me. Because I was in bed sleeping last night. Well, here's the video. And you're like, oh my God, that's me. In fact, this happens to some extent in a lot of things related to sleep. I was dealing with a woman who said she didn't sleep. We've talked about sleep state misperception or paradoxical insomnia. When you show them the video of, well, there you are, here you are sleeping during the sleep study that you said you were up for all night. It's that same sort of face that you make as you're looking at the video. Oh my God. I am asleep. That's insane, Chris, because I would have sworn on family members' graves that I was awake all night. Again, what do we say on this show all the time? Perception of sleep and reality are two different things. And man, that's absolutely the case here with a sexomnia. So what tends to cause sexomnias? There's a, there's a lot of them. We've talked about other parasomnias being sort of a risk factor. Are you a sleepwalker? Are you a sleep talker? Have you gotten up and eaten things and not remembered it? Do you wake up sometimes on the couch? If those things are going on, I think it's safe to say you may be at higher risk for having these types of behaviors than other people. Obstructive sleep apnea, there've been studies looking at individuals who have these types of behaviors. When you deal with the obstructive sleep apnea, which is causing arousals from sleep on a constant basis throughout the night, and you take away those arousals, the sexomnia often gets better or goes away completely. So if you're dealing with this right now and your partner snores and stops breathing, I think they should have their snoring and breathing problems evaluated immediately because that's a health-related risk. High blood pressure, stroke, heart attack, cognitive decline, et cetera. It's also a separate risk for the sexomnia. So another way to approach it with your partner who's being stubborn about a sleep study, hey, I'm tired of listening to you almost die. I'm tired of hearing you struggle to breathe and snore and keep me up. I'm also tired of getting fondled against my will. So I really need you to see a doctor about this. Sleep-related seizures, we've talked again on the show before. 
stereotyped behaviors until proven otherwise or a seizure. That was a thing a doctor used to tell me all the time. It's unlikely, but it certainly happens. And there are case reports of it that the sexual behavior at night is actually a seizure manifestation. So be aware of that as well, too. We see this in sometimes people who have chronic insomnia and just disturbed sleep, a lot of stress related to sleep, medications that go along with the insomnia, which are very important. And Ambien's a big one. I'll tell you another story about a couple that came to see me. The couple came and it was clear that there were sexual problems going on in the marriage at night. And they were coming from the wife, not the husband, but the husband was there. And it started off by basically saying, look, we're having sex at night and my wife doesn't remember doing it. And it's very upsetting to her. And I just want to paint a picture that this was a proper Southern woman who really couldn't say the word sex in my presence. She would whisper it, you know, like we were just having, you know, into kind of that thing and didn't really want to say it really, really uncomfortable talking about it. So, as we spoke, it was kind of like, well, it sounds like you may be trying to initiate sex with your husband at night. Maybe the solution is husband that you just say no. And there was this sort of pregnant pause. And the husband looked at me and said, we tried that and it doesn't work. And now just everybody's uncomfortable. What do you mean it doesn't work? And you know, she is just beat red at this point, and he's trying to say it in a way that doesn't cause her to embarrassingly just collapse into a pool of, you know, water. He just, you know, she's just so on edge with this conversation. He said, well, listen, I, I try to say no to her, but that doesn't go over really well. What do you mean? Well, what I mean is when she starts wanting to engage me and I say no, she gets agitated, she gets violent, she gets angry, rude, insulting. And at some point, one night she said, well, if you're not going to F me, I'll just go find somebody who will. And was like looking around for the car keys. So a lot of times he would engage her to, to kind of control her because she seemed to want to leave. And the next day would have no recollection of any of it. And at one point, the husband said something. He goes, I feel like I need to give you another piece of information. I was like, okay, because <laughs> clearly you haven't given me enough yet. Your, your wife could be a deeper shade of red if we continue here. And he said, I think it's important for you to know that the sex at night is different. <laughs> That's all he could basically say. And when he said different, he didn't necessarily mean bad. He just meant different. I think intense, more like, you know, those, I think he may have even used like the machines at the bar where you get on the mechanical bull. It was more like riding the mechanical bull than a very sterile, brief encounter that would happen when they would typically have intercourse. Like her, her behavior and demeanor was just completely different. And this, she hated talking about. Because again, she has no me me memory of this. She doesn't know what she's acting like. Well, it turns out this woman had a job. She was also going to school and she was taking a lot of Ambien. And long story short, Ambien can cause this in a lot of people. So if you're saying, look, this happens to me, I'm tuning into this podcast because this is a problem 
is there a sleep aid involved? Do you have insomnia? Are you taking a sleep aid? Because if you are, that's the first place to look. Um, we can also look at narcolepsy, restless leg syndrome, anything that's causing sleep-related problems, any sort of sleep diagnosis could be the precipitant. We've talked about stress um, and we've talked about alcohol. We talked about drugs, but alcohol can be a big one too. And again, sometimes the alcohol gets blamed for the amnesia or the behavior. You know, if it's one beer that you had at seven o'clock at night, and this is happening at one o'clock in the morning, I don't think the beer is probably the cause. So we have to kind of separate those things. I will, I have to say this, and this is, this is, this is my one joke that I get for the podcast, but there was a Czech study, Czechoslovakian study that came out in 2022 that clearly a grad student with a great sense of humor named it because it was the title of the abstract was sexomnia can be triggered by sleep related head jerks. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, sleep related head jerking is a, sort of a behavior that some people see. It's a self-soothing behavior where people rock body rocking, rock their heads. We've talked about that in previous episodes. And so I guess there's a Czech study that says that head jerking can be related to sexomnias. So what do we do about this? I think number one is get it documented. You know, if this is happening, you're some guy and your partners, you know, some woman and you're, and she does this and you kind of like it and it's fun and it's an adventure and whatnot. Great. I'm not here to tell you what to do with, with a sexomnia that's happening in your bed. What I'm saying is it might be a great idea for your partner to let her physician or clinician know that these things happen. So it's kind of documented and make sure that everybody's involved is happy with this. Um, because the last thing you want is Girls weekend, bachelorette party, they're all in Nashville, four people to a bedroom, and she's engaging in behaviors like this with her friends from college that that don't want that happening. That could really put an awkward spin on a great Tennessee bachelorette party. Sleeping in separate bedrooms, this has been a solution for several of my patients, and especially guys when they're sort of dating early. You're just getting to know somebody, you're dating, and now you're having some sleepovers, which is a great, you know, great point in the relationship. And I've had guys have very frank conversations with their partners and say, look, this is something that I have done before. I just want to let you know. And it would, might make me feel better if we spent the night at my place, I sleep out on the couch and you sleep in the bed. Just being aware of it and having the conversation can be really helpful. Just so there's an awareness of what's going on win it if it would happen. Locking bedroom doors. I'm going to be very careful about this just because of emergencies and fires. But a lot of times people who are you know, engaged in these types of behaviors are not fully with it. So even getting one of those little things you put on doorknobs to keep kids from getting out, like you have to squeeze it a certain way to engage the doorknob to get out. Something like that can be really helpful. Avoiding triggers, stress, Watch out for hotel rooms, you know, just things that you know might precipitate these behaviors we want to avoid. Setting movement alarms can be helpful. I've had patients buy these little, you can buy them at Lowe's or Home Depot. It's like a doorbell. So when you open up the front door, the doorbell goes, well, you can put it on an interior door. So if doors are moving or if an individual is moving away around in the bed or whatever, it, it creates sort of a, an alarm so other people know 
kind of what's happening. There are medications that can be you know, involved in very rare cases. Often it's the removal of medications that might be precipitating the behavior. So I just kind of wanted to put this episode out there and start a dialogue about it. Um, I think that's really important. And that's really what it's about is just talking about this, not making assumptions and being aware of the behaviors so we can make sure that the behaviors don't lead to difficult conflicts, legal problems, or worse. So that's it. I really appreciate your attention. We went a little longer than I like to go, but I think this is an important topic to kind of get into. If you have questions, comments, criticisms, uh, if this is something that you have been, have some experience with and you don't mind sharing, let the, the, let the podcast know. You can always DM me. And if you say, hey, Chris, I'd like to talk about this, but I don't want my name used in any way, we can certainly do that as well too, because this is kind of a sensitive subject. DR Chris Winter Twitter, DR Chris Winter Instagram, DR Chris Winter Threads, the Sleep Unplugged YouTube page. My books are The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep's Broken, How to Fix It, as well as The Rested Child, Why You're Tired, Wired, or Eatable Child May Have a Sleep Disorder, How to Help. Until next week, everybody, sleep well. <laughs>